Whenever you rent or buy a video, you need to be sure that the film you choose is suitable for the audience at home. This film has been classified EU, PG, 15, 18. Will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence. And the whole family might well enjoy it. Frankenstein. The name stands for fear. Frankenstein. He shocks the world as he mocks the devil. Frankenstein. He creates monsters of men. Hello, welcome to episode five of the Alan Smithy's Cinema Verite podcast. I am Ben Campbell. I am Pete Appleyard. And once again, we're stuck in the vocal booth here in Holborn, um, yammering on about films. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks. Actually, mm. the last couple of episodes have not been you and I in a in a in a booth on our own. We've yeah. had guests. Yeah, we played one of our Q and A's. So oh. it's. Because you demanded it, folks, it's back to me and Ben to scratch around the microphone. With <laughs> I'd the like to think that they have demanded it. I, but they, I tell they, myself they have. Yeah, but that's, that's the reason why we, that's we're not here. That's the case. Well, we are here to record the first of three retrospective uh, Alan Smithy podcasts about three of the classic Hammer franchises. Yeah, because we've got three Hammer movies that we're screening in this season. So we're doing Dracula AD 1972. Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, and Quatermass in the Pit. So we're going to do an episode on each of these franchises, watch every movie, talk about the highlights. I think it's safe to say there's a couple of lowlights in yeah, there. Yeah, there is. <laughs> but there are plenty of highlights There's as plenty well. of yeah, highlights yeah, yeah. as well. So um, and, uh, and just talk about the, the careers of some of the people associated with them, um, some of the history, and it's just um, on a healthy dose of our own opinions yes. thrown in there. <laughs> and this is our first. Ep- we're gonna we're gonna concentrate on Frankenstein. Okay, so I you know I haven't really, even though my dad's worked in Hammer horror films or on Hammer horror films, I never really actually watched any of them when I was a kid. Funny enough, dad didn't actually say you must watch this because I worked on it. He never kind of like you know forced me right. to watch all the Hammer films, which, you know, I'll, I'll force my children to watch the stuff I've worked on yeah, when, so, I, when, so I, when, I. when I have kids, you know. Um, so I'm sort of like a newbie to the whole sort of um, Hammer uh, horror films. I've seen a couple back mm-hmm. in the past, but I haven't actually watched them um, in depth, if, if you like. Yeah. You know, I've always known about Hammer and what they've done and the legacy and all that kind of stuff, but I'd never actually watched any of the Frankenstein films. So... You lent me all the films, Pete. I did. And I binged watched them all. That's um, very brave of you. Oh, man. I did it over... I think I did it over... It was pretty like, quick. I was impressed. I, I gave you those discs like a week ago. And yeah. I was, and I was like, there's no way he's going to watch all of them. And I did. And you watched every single yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, well, I really enjoyed it bar maybe <laughs> a couple. parts of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which we'll obviously we'll, get we'll on get to. We'll get into, yeah. Um, but obviously, you're more of a Hammer fan. Yeah, or... I can't... It's funny. I was thinking about it on the way over. I don't... I can't remember when I got into it because it wasn't as a kid. I, d- I did see a couple of Hammer movies when I was a kid, but they were more Dracula movies. I remember seeing Plague of Zombies when I was a kid, The Reptile when I was a kid. So I somehow missed Frankenstein. And then probably about 10 years ago, so when I sort of turned 20, I think it was when they first put out the box sets or started bringing out cheap DVDs. Mm. I just binge watched all of them um, and and watched them. I've watched them all at least sort of three or four times and a couple of them a lot more and then I never watched them in order so this was so again Ben's just watched all of them I haven't watched any of them for actually probably about a year so this is going to be an interesting mix of it's going to be very fresh in your mind mm. where I'm going to be you're going to be telling me stuff I'm be like oh yeah because some of the stuff does does mix in from movie to movie 
Um, I think it's fair to say. Not that Hammer was necessarily churning them out, but they obviously have elements and they have sets and they have cast members and crew members which they use from film to film. So if you watch them all over a period, it's it's, it's a bit like watching the Friday the 13th movie. You can't quite remember which movie Jason did this and Jason did that. I was going to say it must be a bit like watching The Reptile with Plague of Zombies. That's very Because confusing. it's like watching the same film. It's the same cast. <laughs> it's the same sets. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, they weren't released as a double bill. I think The Reptile was released with... Love The Reptile, by the way. It's great, it's isn't so it? Good. It's really yeah. good. That was released with Rasputin. I can't mm. remember what Plague of Zombies was released with. I think it was with a Frankenstein. Um, but yeah, if you watch those two back to back, it is it is almost the same camera almost setup. Same. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Should we jump in? Should we yeah. start at the start with the first? And before we talk about the first um, first Frankenstein movie, it's worth kind of noting where Hammer was because Hammer started off historically making thrillers and adaptations of uh, radio serials, BBC radio serials. They started to make adaptations of uh, TV shows. And the big successful one of those was the Quatermass experiment. And we'll get onto the Quatermass in a couple of weeks. But that was the first one which kind of pushed Hammer, or the one that most people consider the film that pushed Hammer into sort of the horror genre. But it's certainly more sci-fi than anything else. And what follows from Quatermass is a lot of science gone wrong um, sort of action thrillers. So X the Unknown. Um, and one really interesting one, which is called The Four-Sided Triangle, which is directed by Terence Fisher, who directed the first Frankenstein movie. Directed several of the Frankenstein movies. Several of the Frankenstein mm. movies, but, but kicked off with Curse of Frankenstein, which is the first one we're going to talk about. And if you're interested to, hopefully you'll listen to this and you go back and watch some of these movies, but I would almost recommend starting with The Four-Sided Triangle because it's got lots of elements. Even though it's a contemporary movie, it's a black and white movie, um, you can see Terence Fisher starting to try out some of the sort of mad lab sequences in the Four Sided Triangle. It's a massively sexist film. I'll have to put that out there. <laughs> um, it's a, it, quite amazingly sexist film, but it's really interesting, really worth a watch, and it is kind of a Frankenstein story. Yeah, we really are intending this sort of these retrospectives to be our take as two guys in their thirties talking about these old movies and you know how yeah. cool they are and what's good, what's bad, and how they sort of hold up today. Um, so we really are hoping that, you know, people go away and watch them. Yeah, for me, it's it, there's a there's a habit of watching old movies now. Maybe it's the mystery science theater thing and taking the mick out of something which is just old. And, there, and not to say there aren't elements of these movies which are totally worth taking the piss out of, because yeah. there are. And we will. And we will. <laughs> but at the same time, some of these movies are absolutely brilliant. And if mm. you can just check your expectations at the door a little bit and just be like, well, this is made in a period before that was a cheesy thing to do or before that was a crude effect. Um, they're pretty groundbreaking and pretty amazing. So, uh, and you, and they're totally enjoyable. I mean, these films were old when we were kids. You mm. know? And so, and they get, we're going back half a century, but there's some, still some pretty amazing stuff. And especially I would say in Curse of Frankenstein. More than a hundred years ago in a mountain village in Switzerland, lived a man whose strange experiments with the dead have since become a legend. We've only just started, just opened the door. But now's the time to go through that door and find what lies beyond it. But don't you see, Paul? We've discovered the source of life itself and we've used it to restore a creature that was dead. This is Frankenstein, who revolted against nature, who experimented with the devil and was forever cursed. His unwilling collaborator was Paul Kremp, 
can't prove you murdered. But I can stop you using his brain. Why? He has no further use for it. So, Curse of Frankenstein, uh, 1957, uh, stars Peter Cushing as Baron Victor von Frankenstein, Christopher Lee as the creature. Uh, he is credited as the creature, isn't he? He's, I think not, so, he's yeah. not credited as the monster. Um, Hazel Court as Elizabeth. The plot-wise, it's. It's an interesting one because it's not exactly the plot of Frankenstein, um, and I think this is this is partly because there was obviously there was the big Universal uh, film, wasn't it? Iconic there? Universal yeah. film with Boris Karloff, mm. and Universal were quite strict about copyrights. Even though it was, I think it was public domain by this point, they couldn't repeat any any elements used in the Universal Frankenstein. They couldn't repeat the makeup. They couldn't repeat parts of the screenplay. Um, so it's really the story of a of a young scientist taking an interest in 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 life and how to bring back to life, uh, bring dead tissue back to life, and becoming obsessed with with that project. And what's kind of interesting about it is where the Universal movies all follow the creature. So every Universal Frankenstein movie or movie with Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, it's always them finding the creature and the creature still going. And I think Frankenstein himself is gone after the second movie. Whereas the Hammer films follow the scientist. They follow Dr. Frankenstein, and it's a new creature in every single movie. So it's a completely different take on the same original story. It is interesting when you get to the end of the seventh film, because there are seven Frankenstein films in the Hammer Horror sort of franchise. Um, you kind of think, why doesn't Frankenstein just give up making monsters? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, Peter Cushion plays Frankenstein in six of these seven films. Um, but you just like every film, unfortunately, because it follows that model. Yeah, it is a bit like why don't, know, this is never going to work. It's never going to work. For you know, Vic. come on, trial and error. <laughs> um, you know, it's well, nothing. the interesting thing about that, and we're jumping a little bit, but but it's always about apart from the first one, it's always about someone coming to him and saying, "I've read all your research." Yeah, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. We should do this. And it's almost like he's quit, and then someone comes and inflates his ego, and he goes, "All right, I'll give it another go." Yeah, <laughs> and it never what turns can, out. What well. can go wrong this time? <laughs> yeah. What I found really interesting about this after watching it was, uh, and again, this is because I'm a relatively novice, noob. yeah, noob novice when it comes to Hammer, was um, learning about Terence Fisher, the director, yeah, um, and how he was obviously, you know, huge in terms of uh, what well, is helmed pretty much all the big franchises for Hammer. He did Dracula, he did um, the Mummy, he did obviously the fra- uh, pretty much. A bulk of the Frankenstein movies. Yeah, he did Curse um, of the Werewolf of Oliver Reed, which yeah. is uh, which that's funny that Hammer did so many movies, but there's they only did one zombie movie. They only did really one werewolf movie. Mm. The, the werewolf is fantastic. It's one of the best werewolf movies, but they didn't they didn't kind of pursue those characters. They stuck with just making Frankenstein movies. Um, but he really set the template for these kind of kind of films, and there's. Never, even though he's got a bag of tricks which he develops, he's never kind of repeated sequences. It's always what kind? What's the new monster going to look like? What's the new lab going to look like? It's always there's always something fun and new to watch in any of his movies. I mean, what was amazing is that he was in his fifties when he made this film. Yeah, I believe he was quite. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was, uh, hats off to the gentleman. He was quite. He was uh, getting on a bit yeah. in terms of his career, and then suddenly he's because he actually directed this before Dracula. Yeah, this is well. This is the, the other thing. This is the first color fr- Hammer movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it really takes advantage of that. It really pushes the fact that you're going to see red blood 
and you're going to see quite a bit of red blood, especially for the time. And there is there are moments we'll get onto them in a second, which are genuinely shocking. Like there's the, the, the well, okay, I mentioned it, the bit where Christopher Lee's shot in the face, grabs his eye, and then the yes. red blood spurts through his fingers. Is a really violent moment, and it okay. It looks fairly PG now. In 1957, that was that was amazing. Really? That was yeah. absolutely incredible to see. Um, it's, I mean, another important thing is that this is a Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing team up. I think there are 20. I was reading the other day. There are 20 movies where they appeared together. And this is the first one for Hammer. Because the they, they were together in a couple of like um, productions of, like, I think it was Hamlet. Hamlet. Some other bits they don't share a that. scene in Hamlet. Mm. And there's a couple of other films where they... Where they have, I think this might be the film where they first share scenes, but it's mm. it's Baron Frankenstein and the creature. Mm. Um, it's one. I think it might be my favorite creature makeup, and I say that with the most respect to the Universal movies and Boris Karloff and and Jack Pierce's design. But this is my favorite because it's it really looks like a dead thing. Mm. If you look at the original poster, where it's it's just a picture of Christopher Lee's face kind of got a red filter over it and his eyes are kind of rolled back it's really disturbing and really creepy looking um all the others as m- much fun as they are they kind of look like a bodybuilder with some stitches painted on their heads or because nine times out of ten they were they were yeah <laughs> but this just really looks like something dead that should be dead that shouldn't be standing up and walking around and yeah it's still effective that first time when they where frankenstein brings him to life, fails, opens the door because they hear him Walking rustling on, around yeah. and they do that slightly awkward zoom mm. where they kind of sped up the film to push into his face and he pulls the mask off his face. It's a great moment. It is a good moment, yeah. And actually, Christopher Lee's performance in this is really, it's interesting because on one hand, it's quite corny in some scenes when he's literally yeah. just walking around like, I'm obviously meant to be a creature put together with body parts, so I'm going to walk a bit like this where my hands are going to be awkward and it almost gets a bit pantomime. And in fact, the most pantomime moment is before he gets shot in the face in the woods. Yeah. And that, you know, later on when you see him, because he gets shot in the, sorry, this is going to be a spoilers podcast. You oh, know. yeah. Um, oh, come on, no, it's 57. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure the embargo is lifted by now. Later on, because they make, he actually looks worse as well. Like when he gets shot in the face, because then Frankenstein patches him up yeah. a little bit. And you see him later on when he's kind of, back alive again because that's a brilliant line the guy walks in when he sees the monster and he goes I thought he was dead and Frank Sinus <laughs> goes yes but I just brought him back alive again <laughs> you know, it's what I do I'm yeah. Frankenstein there are some lovely if you watch it um, there are some lovely cuts where you'll have something graphic and nasty happening you know him patching body parts back together and then it'll hard cut to him it's so English but he's sitting there like having tea with his fiance is like pass the marmalade and it's yeah. those jokes are intentional that, that they put this kind of mundane and co- sort of costume drama moments next to the horror and Frankenstein is as cool as a cucumber throughout mm. he's this sociopathic scientist who's just kind of life is just a little curiosity something for him to poke and see what happens he's yeah. not he's never emotionally invested in what's going on so Frankenstein at the beginning of the film inherits the wealth of the family yeah and instead of like you know as you would today, going off and leading like a playboy lifestyle, he hires a live-in teacher to um, obviously learn about science and biology and all that kind of stuff. And you see this kind of montage sequence where the teacher and Frankenstein are sort of becoming friends. Well, that's it. He and... also kind of hires a father figure. He yeah, hires a replacement yeah. sort of mentor mm. who he's initially he's very keen to kind of say, well, I am the Baron. You, you know, you you will work for me. But it's very clear that he kind of takes on the project because he 
he sees he believes in the kid but he also feels like he can he can help it Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they go into the montage, which which has a great ending. Oh man, it's just that. <laughs> what is the ending of the montage? Well, the, the ending of the montage is you've got this kid and oh, this yeah, older turns, actor, turns and then Peter they, they <laughs> crossfade, and it's Peter Cushing in a black wig. Black wig, yeah. Like, and he's like, he, he's just suddenly got older than his dad. Yeah, his teacher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, his teacher. But yeah. uh, you know, I understand. There's no other way to to do that sequence and it's it's okay it's it's but it's but it's a bit off-putting later on because like he is peter cushing is so blatantly older than the guy who plays the teacher you know they put the the guy who plays the teacher they put him in like a grayer wig maybe try and paint on a few more sort wrinkles but peter cushing bless him you know he's he's always been a thin guy yeah so even with the black wig on he's not he's not setting a sort of like younger tone he's not in his late 20s yeah, yeah exactly he's not got a young He's not a young debonair sort of like character. Yeah, you know? um, I think it's one of those things that you chuckle at when you see it, and then mm. actually you swiftly forget because again, the performance, especially in this film, I think the performances are really solid across the board. So you just you just buy into it and just and just carry on. So the teacher and Frankenstein then work together to bring a puppy back to life. That's correct. That's yeah, the yeah. first time when they sort of like bring back a dead creature back back to life again. Um, and you know it's a good actually it's a really good scene because they pretty much hold on this wide shot for this entire sequence when they're bringing this puppy back to life so you see like the guy's sort of like flicking a few buttons and mm-hmm. all this sort of stuff and there's like you know this puppy in this sort of fish tank and it's all kind of like dry ice smoke instead of like cutting to lots of like tight close up shots it just stays in the wide shot Peter Cushing flicks a couple more buttons and then you know the guy in the background flicks down the lever and then they kind of have a look they open up the fish tank and they lift out this puppy who's alive. You know, yeah. it all happens in a wide shot. I really like the fact this is playing out yeah. as it is. You know, it's, it's and you're great. watching them, and mm. you're completely convinced that they know what they're doing. You know, they're pro. They're they're really invested to see if this experiment's going to work. It's not. It's not super slick, but it looks well thought out, and it's and it's kind of a li- I guess a little bit more truthful that I, I'm not. I was never good, very good at science, but. But people I know in scientific fields, it's a lot of mundane just waiting, looking around. at stuff. Yeah, quite quite intensely, but it's not super exciting with like bolts of lightning blowing out and screaming it's alive. It's actually quite quiet and and sad. Or in the case of Curse of Frankenstein, a, a bit of perspex yeah. spinning in the background, which is what what kind of yeah. that's the that's the machine's kind of like yeah. motor almost. Oh, well, now, it's th- good. There's there's been chintzier but yeah, production design in movies. That's it's absolutely good. fine. Then after that, Frankenstein pretty much says, "Oh, we're gonna make our own person." And then obviously the teacher gets a little bit wary about how. And where Frankenstein's going to get his body parts and other bits from? I, I mean, that's really the turning point in the movie is where he he finds his brain. Yes, this great old science, you know, a, a brilliant mind who he invites to dinner, and you, it's really intense because you're sitting there waiting. What is Frankenstein planning to do to this guy? Or is he just going to? Is he going to ask him like, when you die, can I have your brain? And it's, uh, you know, again, spoilers. He he kills the guy in one of the most impressive stunts. Brilliant. I've ever seen. It's really Brilliant. great. If you step back a little, you'll see that. Look out, Professor, look out! So he, he, he stands on this balcony and then and then just shoves this old man through a banister. If you go and watch that that clip, the stunt man who jumps off this balcony, lands on his face with his legs directly over his head. Yeah. Really looks like he snaps his neck. It I mean, really maybe does. they did. Maybe <laughs> maybe yeah. that never came hey, out. Hey, this is 1957. Yeah. yeah. Health and safety wasn't... Uh, but it's a terrific looking stunt. It gets me every single time. You I, don't see it coming. 
Yeah. I mean, you do see it, the fact that he's going to push him over. Oh, you should stand over here. Yeah, Look at it closer. but you think he's going to fall out of shot and then they'll yeah. cut to him in, in that kind of position where one leg is slightly arched and that's yeah. that's the way films communicate someone's dead. You don't expect them to cut cut to a high shot yeah. of him landing on his face. Yeah, it's a great stunt. I mean, you can see kind of where the um, the floor obviously has a bit of like foam underneath it and all that sort of stuff. But the fact, like you say, the fact that he lands directly on his head and you can see his legs flailing. And it doesn't look and like then... it gives a huge amount. No. Like it doesn't, it, it's not like he bounces. No. He really crumples. It's like, boom. Yeah. What's wonderful is Frankenstein shows no guilt. Yeah. What's, and at no point in through any of the movies does he ever appear to show any remorse for what he's doing. He's steadfast that what he's doing is necessary mm. and, and for a greater cause. And that's brilliant to watch. It actually... Uh, one of the things that these movies remind me of are the reanimator movies from the 80s, where it's, it's the same dynamic of this brilliant scientist who just, just pushes through regardless. It doesn't matter what, how many people die or whose lives this affects. And for the greater good, I'm definitely doing the right thing. Yeah. So Frankenstein's now got his brain. He's very happy because it's a professor's brain, clever guy. But the teacher finds Frankenstein in the crypt, stealing the professor's brain and says, I don't want anything more to do with this, and then kind of knocks Frankenstein's hand, which is holding the brain, into a wall, which then oh, breaks yeah, yeah, the yeah. glass container and that the brain's in, and the glass gets stuck in the brain. Yeah. So Frankenstein's like, oh, you've ruined my brain. Then you cut to Frankenstein in the lab, and he's pulling massive chunks of glass out of this brain, and he's a bit like, oh, fuck it. I'll put it in the monster anyway. <laughs> is that a direct quote? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, uh, and then obviously it all goes wrong because the brain has been damaged. And, yeah. um, it's, you know, it's quite gross, actually, that whole kind of pulling a bit of glass out of the brain and then still... I mean, he's a scientist. He should know that that's not going to be... This is no longer good brain. This is not good brain. This is bad brain. <clears throat> but I think there's probably that... Like you say, that's that kind of will of, like, I need to do this. This is my work. Yeah. I'm going to complete this no matter what. I think for him, it, it's... Well, I'll put it in a body and bring it back to life. And if it doesn't work, that, that's fine. I'll just do it again. Mm. Where, obviously, that doesn't happen. The creature wakes up and escapes and starts killing and it's all Frankenstein's fault and but that I mean again just just moving away from other versions of the story and, and from the original book which is so full of remorse for what I mean it's all Frankenstein telling his story and how mm. what an awful thing he's done and the Hammer movies just strip that out completely and it's just well I'll just do it again like there's nothing wrong with this guy yeah. going on a rampaging sort of kill kill frenzy like no, I'll just I'll just make another one yeah yeah, that, yeah, yeah absolutely kind of worked almost worked <laughs> it almost worked it can't it, it'll be fine this time yeah um, yeah that's right because the film actually opens with the scene with Frank like in the book I think oh, it's been years that I've read the book um, opens with Frankenstein in jail and he's got yes. a priest coming in to for Frankenstein to confess or to tell somebody that he didn't kill the maid yeah. that, his, that his creature did yeah and I think the dynamic between the Frankenstein and the maid is great throughout the whole movie mm. because you've got Elizabeth, who's going to be his betrothed, his sort of, I think she's his cousin or something like that. Which yeah, is very, that was all back, fine back then. Yeah, back then it was fine to marry your cousin. So you've got this whole dynamic of like, you know, he's going to be marrying Elizabeth, but he's actually shagging the maid. Yeah. Um, he is horny in these movies. He is horny in these <laughs> movies, yeah. Um, but that's kind of like, again, because it's, it's a slow sort of release. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of Frankenstein turning into this kind of complete sociopath git by the end of the film. Yeah, because but you always 
suspect that it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's just how much can I get away with? And the maid, the maid is like used really well in terms of showing his sort of like lack of respect for anybody else. Yeah, because there's that great scene when he's genuinely sort of like aggressive and horrible to her. I think when she announces that she's pregnant. And I yes. think he says something like, oh, well, how do you know it's my baby, you whore, or something yeah. like that. And you're like, whoa. Again, for 57. Yeah. Pretty pretty rich stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, he, you know, and it's coming from Peter Cushing as well, who, you know, when I grew up, he was, um, oh, what's his character? Well, he's Grand Moff Tarkin. He's Grand Moff Tarkin, yeah, yeah in, Star, in Star Wars. I mean, like, so he's a badass there. But then, you know, he was also Doctor Who in the two Doctor Who movies yeah. that he did. You Actually, know. I think that's probably where I first encountered Peter Cushing as, mm. as, as the Doctor. And he's a very weird, kind of doddery old man in those I quite movies. Like that, though. I quite like that. Yeah, <laughs> I really like those I really films. enjoy those great. movies, yeah. So, like, for, for this uh, this character and seeing, because I always thought, oh, he plays good guys. Peter yeah. Cushing. Christopher Lee, yeah. Christopher Lee, baddies. Peter Cushing, good guys. Yeah, yeah. like say, Van Helsing. And, uh, you know, Frankenstein. Sherlock oh, Holmes as well. Sherlock yeah, Holmes, yeah. yeah. Uh, Frankenstein, no. Bad man. Real and bad man. That scene, it was like, I was like, oh, he said whore. <laughs> It's like hearing, it's like what? hearing your granddad yeah. call someone a whore. Yeah, it'd be um, really bad. And then, uh, and then, uh, you know, he he uses his monster to get rid of the maid. He, uh, yeah, I can't remember how that happens. Though. He locks her in the room. He does. And then, and then, someone is it? Isn't someone else? Doesn't Elizabeth arrive? And he goes upstairs and pretends nothing's going on while this hellishness is going on downstairs. Yeah. Am I yeah. getting that right? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because they they do it. They kind of echo this in horror. Yeah, a Frankenstein. Um, uh, with the in fact, there's a lot of we'll we'll talk about horror Frankenstein, but there's a lot of things that they obviously it's a bit of a remake horror Frankenstein. Yeah. So there are lots of like scenes that are almost exactly the same. Um, but, but they've done sort of for more laughs. For more, but not that scene though. In horror no, Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. You know, the maid being killed by the monster scenes are both done quite in a very kind of sinister fashion. Which yeah. Is, you know, which is uh, interesting for a film as old as this. Yeah. Something that I really enjoyed um, watching this first film as well as the production design. Oh, yeah, it's I think beautiful. It's really good. And it's almost like that's something that kind of gets lost in the later films as well, a little bit. I mean, they do pick up... I think Hell has a good look. Frank Stein, the Monster from Hell, has a good look. Revenge has a good look, even though I think it's a very different film from Curse of Frankenstein. Mm. Um, I think, you know, later on, they kind of start looking a bit sort of pantomime in terms of like some of the sets and stuff. There's an urban myth. I don't know if it, maybe it's actually been proven, but some of the stuff where they're running through the forest, apparently Terence Fisher and his director of photography were painting leaves and berries bright red so that they would really show off in the Technicolor ah. um, because they were very aware that they were making this sort of, you know, the first Hammer movie in colour. Um, and Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with Terence Fisher. Was, there's a depth to everything. Mm. And it's, again, not... I think Hammer gets a bad rap for... for churning films out and sort of conveyor belt movie making but it's true that you can see sets recurring from film to film but this doesn't have any everything kind of feels fresh and new and exciting and it still it still maintains that to this day it's still got still got that kind of energy um yeah and the production design is a big big bit of that so for a film that's 58 years old yeah the production design actually holds up pretty well yeah. you know it's actually it's it's. I was going to say it's a good vintage. It is. Uh, it is you know, vintage horror. It's vintage horror. Yeah. It looks. It looks like good vintage horror as well. Um, okay. So after the success of um, Curse of Frankenstein, Hammer, like most good film production companies and studios, 
made a sequel, right. um, yeah. which was The Revenge of Frankenstein, which came out in 1958. Have you ever seen the trailer for Revenge of Frankenstein? No. I highly recommend watching the trailer for Revenge of Frankenstein. In fact, let's play a clip. In the year 1860, I, Baron Frankenstein, was sentenced to death on the guillotine. Why? Why had the world condemned me? Because I was the first man to create another living being. It's just one of the most brilliant trailers ever. He, it's, it's a monologue to camera of Peter Cushing as Frankenstein explaining. Because actually, at the end of Curse of Frankenstein, he's led to the guillotine. Yes. That's how it ends. And it's, the trailer is him explaining how he's still alive. And it's great. It's really, really... like to give away the twist of the whole film. Give away the twist at the very beginning of Revenge. And it's it's terrific, but it's a great monologue. And it's just just a mid-shot of him really sort of the steely gaze and this real determination that I'm going to do it again. And and I I watch that trailer again and again, and I'm always thinking, like, you have sold me on this movie (laughs) so hard. It's such a great performance. I, I highly recommend checking it out. It's just a... It's a terrific trailer. Well, I've got to say, before we go into any other details in the film, I love Revenge of Frankenstein. Yeah. I think it might be my favourite of the series. It's pretty good. I love the fact that it links directly from the end of Curse into the beginning of this. I like, yeah. literally, a second. It's, it's a it's, proper sequel. It's, yeah. It's, it's not, it's not, uh, oh, he escaped. Just, we'll no. just take it from us, he escaped. No, you, you see know? him walking to the, the guillotine at the end of Curse. And then you see him walking to the guillotine at the beginning of this, and it's brilliant. And it's how he like, escapes, yeah. and it's yeah, it's really good. No, in fact, yeah, because that's what they do. You see the guillotine come down, don't like, you? Oh, he's dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because and it's obviously you don't see the head or anything. It's framed like you're looking up at the guillotine. It's like low angle, shdunk, yeah. the end. And then the beginning of um, yeah, of revenge is seeing him how he actually escapes. Yeah, and how he hoodwinked them. Yeah, hoodwinked them, oh, yeah, which is very good. Good yeah. word. So Terence Fisher returns as director. Um, as does Peter Cushing as Victor von Frankenstein, uh, not Christopher Lee. <laughs> no, I mean, and this is this as we mentioned earlier. This is this is the interesting point: is that it, the monsters are destroyed at the end of I think every movie. I don't mm-hmm. think there's any. There's no. There's some actors who portray the monster from movie to movie, but they never they never bring back the same. Experiment. David Prowse is the only actor to play the monster or and creature that's, twice. That's horror, and then is it horror Frankenstein, and then monster from hell? Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, so yeah. they, but very different looking monsters. Yes, absolutely. So you couldn't um, tell. Francis Matthews as Dr. Hans Cleave. I probably pronounced that wrong. Do apologize. Eunice Gason as Margaret. Um, Oscar Quitak <laughs> as the hunchback Carl. And Michael Gwynn as Carl in his new body. So that was our cast. Um, so the plot of this one uh, is Byron from Frankenstein is uh, saved from losing his head at the guillotine by. Um, a couple of fans, as we said earlier, lots of fans in these films yeah. seem to come in and save the day. So he's free and able to carry on his evil doings. Um, and in this film, he does it by going to a poor hospital and changing his name. So Frankenstein is now called Dr. Victor Steen. And unfortunate for him, he's recognized by somebody, <laughs> but but who happens to be a fan. Yeah. So he's all like, hey, are you Frankenstein? And he goes, no. Are you really? Because I really like your work. Oh, yes, I am Frankenstein. Hey. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a great... It's a great because he he goes there and he he does sort of great work and everyone's a huge fan of him and he's helping the poor and you you almost get the impression that some people 
might suspect that he's this Baron Frankenstein, but they ignore the fact because he's become a good man and he's kind of redeemed himself. You're right, it is one of the best stories because it's this kid who comes up to him and is like, I know who you are, I won't reveal it if you teach me what you know about resurrecting bodies. And yeah. it's... Well, he's never hesitant. He's never hesitant to the point where he's like, no, because I so many people died because of me. He's more hesitant because he doesn't want to get caught. But it's it's a great setup for the story of this of this man who's kind of tried to redeem himself and go into hiding and then gets sort of pulled back into the game. For me, what I really love about the plot of this film is taking the idea of the creature mm. and turning it into something even more, not despicable, but tragic. So Frankenstein has this lab assistant called Carl, who is hunchbacked, he's deformed, he's unhappy in his own skin, so to speak. He's a real kind of Igor caricature, but very, very sympathetic. Yeah, absolutely, because the whole idea is that Frankenstein has promised to put his brain in this beautiful body that he's created. So it's kind of, that's what I really like about this film. It's got a lot more drama behind the actual creature, and, the, and it's actually quite a nice motivation mm. for Frankenstein to actually create a creature this time around. Yeah. He's helping somebody. He's yeah. kind of repaying somebody because Carl actually saved Frankenstein from the guillotine. Um, and obviously what plays out is quite tragic because we're really sympathetic, as you say, to Carl and his plight. We're like, okay, wow, you get a new lease of life. You get to be put in this body and be a handsome man. That's when I sort of got very interested in this film was after they did the brain transfer because when Carl wakes up and he's in this new body, he's very disorientated. And it's such a wonderful scene because he actually says, when, when can I see myself? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When, when can I look at, at me? And it's really sort of powerful. And yeah. I think that's what kind of struck me that, you know, this is back in 1958. The story is just so good. Yeah. So after Carl asks to see his body, hands Frankenstein's fanboy, says, well, don't worry. Frankenstein's got big plans for you. People are going to want to come and see you around the world. They're going to come and look at you and see how amazing you are because you're like an amazing experiment. And he replies with, I've been stared at my whole life. I don't want to be looked at anymore. And you're just like, Whoa. Wow! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like it's proper dramatic themes yeah. in the in this horror film, which you know it feels like a B movie, yet has all these things happening. Has this kind of sort of you know this is high praise, but it's got this kind of elephant man thing going yeah. on where yeah. he just wants to be a man. He just, just wants to be. Doesn't want to be anything special. He just wants to not be trapped in this deformed, crippled body. Yeah, it it is probably the most emotionally uh, effective story because because part well part of the fun of all this is what a bastard frankenstein is yeah. and, what, and what he becomes and that's fun to watch but uh m none of the others really have a character like this and he, it is something that you really stick with they do a similar sort of thing with frankenstein must be destroyed where he's transferring a brain for his own gain yeah, <laughs> into yeah. a body um which we'll talk about when we get to it but i mean just sticking with this one though the the general theme running throughout these films as we said is Frankenstein always wants to create a monster no matter what yep. um, and the other thing is that whenever he does create a monster it eventually goes mad yeah yeah, every time um, and they do the way they sing <laughs> the way they signal this um, in this film which I thought was really good and again really sinister was that Frankenstein's got all these monkeys 
and creatures in his like lab, and he's been swapping their brains around. <laughs> he loves swapping he's brains just, around. Just, he look, can't help hey, himself. Just he just give him a couple of monkeys yeah. and a, and a knife. He's yeah. he's happy. That's it. Like, I think he says like he swapped the monkey's brain with a lizard's brain or something like that. I've probably got that completely yeah. wrong. But anyway, so he just can't help himself. He's just like, you know, whereas we would look at like an animal and go, oh, that's a nice dog and that's a nice cat. He looked... Frankenstein would be like, I wonder what would happen if I put the dog's brain in the cat's body and vice versa. <laughs> you know, it's, um, but what they do to like signpost the fact that the experiment's going to go wrong. So we're, we're watching this going, oh my God, he's done some amazing thing. Carl in his new body He's got a new lease of life. Out. It's going to be amazing. No one stabbed a brain with glass. No, exactly. <laughs> this is going to be wonderful. Um, then we get a scene where a monkey eats meat. <laughs> and it's just, it's really quite sort of like, it's quite interesting. Because I, and then the guy goes, how long has that monkey been eating meat? And Frankenstein goes, oh, I don't know. Ever since I put a different brain in his body. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't you think that's a bad thing? No, no, I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and I really quite like that. Yeah, no, it's good. It's really for like just someone noticing like that. That's really wrong. Like that yeah. shouldn't be happening. What's going on here? Like it just chowing down on this raw steak. Um, so, so at this point, like we're we're sold with Carl. We want Carl to be all right. And then we see a monkey eating meat, and we know it's going to go wrong. And then they keep upping the drama because after that, Carl actually finds his old body. So he's up, he's out. He's, the bit when he actually does look in the mirror and see his own reflection. Yeah, is actually it's amazing. Really, yeah, really yeah. good, really well done. And the guy who plays Carl in his new body, um, Michael Gwynn, does a bloody amazing performance. It's like you actually are so... both both Carls are great. Yes, you, they're so good that you never you never feel like okay, this is the actor playing him in the first half of the movie or first third of the movie, and this is the actor playing him in the second third. He, you just watch the character of Carl all yeah. the way through. That's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that yeah. doesn't usually happen in this kind of case. You kind of just watch each. I I find I never really get sold on those kind of things. It's like face-off problem, you know what I mean? Yeah. Nicolas Cage and John well, that, Travolta, there's a, they're, they're, not, they're not playing each other, they're, they're just playing themselves. There are two distinct problems with that movie, <laughs> being Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. Oh, makes it on, makes yeah. it wonderful, but it also makes it what it is. Yeah, but the, yeah, absolutely. Face-off could have been a Frankenstein film. But so, yeah. you could, you know, that because that, Frankenstein would have been like, well, hey, you don't need to change each other's faces, I'll just put your brains in your different bodies. Oh, is you that know? your John Travolta? Yeah. It's not bad. <laughs> But then there's this scene where Carl finds his old body in the lab and he burns the body. Yeah. You know, he picks himself up and puts his body in the furnace and burns himself just to say, done. Yeah. Finished. Wow. I can't, I can't yeah, look yeah. at this anymore. This, this hurts me. I, I can't do it. And then as he's leaving the lab, I think somebody finds him or disturbs him and he almost kind of like eats this guy. So yeah. that you start getting these kind of like bits where it's like, okay, now it's all sort of like now going, This is going the monkey bad. eating the meat. This monkey is, yeah. eating the meat. Yeah. <laughs> And I think, the, again, there's so many moments that sort of like stick with you when you watch this film, but eventually he does revert back to his old crippled self and he does mm. go mad. But the way it's set up and where it happens is in this sort of like party where he kind of breaks in and Frankenstein's there with <clears throat> high society and all this sort of stuff. And you've just got this poor guy who kind of runs in, crippled, attacking people. And he sees Frankenstein there and he turns around and just cries, help me. At Frankenstein, you know, and it's just, again, it's just a moment that just sticks with you. Just like, wow, this poor man. You feel so sorry for this guy. And he's just because he's been given and you are really with him all the way through the story. But because he's just been given everything he ever wanted. And, and, he's, all going and he burnt his past, li yeah. very literally burnt his past. And now he's just kind of 
lost falling back in yeah. on what that was it's it's great yeah it is it's 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 pretty incredible and frankenstein's he's not particularly cold to carl but he's just sort of cool and unsympathetic and because he's his, his experiment yeah you know I mean? it's like it, it doesn't want him to he doesn't you know there's no malice in it but he doesn't really care mm-hmm. and it's it's pretty brutal it's really tragic to watch this is kind of the only one which is like a tragedy i suppose the others are kind of romps. <laughs> yeah, <sorry. laughs> yeah no, they are. They I, are. They, 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 I think that's fair to say. I mean, again, this one ends really weirdly, though, because like there's a mob attack, and I think Frankenstein is badly hurt. He gets attacked in the hospital at the yeah. end, because people are like, you're Frankenstein, you did this bad thing, we now hate you, and he gets like mortally wounded by yeah. these guys. And then there's just like, at the end, it's just like, I think his assistant puts his brain in another body that looks exactly yeah. like Peter Cushing. Yeah, it's it's not, I have to say, the only disappointment with this film is that the ending the end. is a bit weak source because yeah. they it, they kind of revert back to the automatic Frankenstein ending, appreciating there's only been one at this point, but it ends almost like every other Frankenstein movie with a mob attacking him and the creature and the creature going wild. And it, I don't know what the resolution would have been, but it feels like it deserves something a bit richer and a bit more... Um, it's not really driven by character. It's driven by plot. And because the rest of the film is very much driven by Carl and, to a lesser extent, Frankenstein, the ending is a little bit of a, oh, we have to have a big action it's, sequence at the end. And also the way that the fact that they just put his brain in another body is a bit like the Eagles out of Lord of the Rings. You know what yeah, I mean? It's their yeah, fallback yeah. to, you know, we, we can't kill him off. What can we do? Well, we'll just put his brain in another body. It's fine. We've yeah. already seen it done in the film, so we know it can be done. And it just feels a bit, it just kind of cheapens, like you say, it doesn't strengthen the film. It just kind of weakens the ending. It's not bad. It's not like, t- technically it's quite well done. It's quite exciting, but it's just not as rich as all the stuff that's come no. before it. But that doesn't take away from it being a really no. great movie. No, yeah, it's a great film. It's just uh, that for me, though, just let me down. A yeah. bit. It was just too easy. You know, yes. that's a yeah. problem. Suddenly swapping a brain. It's too easy. Quickly, quick. He's dead. It's okay. We have this other body. He looks um, just like Peter Cushing. Okay, let's put his brain in there. It would have been, it would have been better than all the other movies. He's in a cage eating tons of meat, but that doesn't happen. He's dressed as a monkey. Dressed as a monkey. He's absolutely fine in the rest of the movie. <laughs> Whoever swapped his brain, you know, did a much better job than he ever did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I have to say, there are bits I enjoy in the later movies, but these are the two that feel really, really that really work from yeah. beginning to end. And because I think it's because they are, it, it is a good sequel. It's a different story. It's not just recycling what happened before. Uh, the continuity is, it's kept between the movies. It's not just a reboot or a reset. Um, and it's, it's hammer sort of expanding from the success of curse of Frankenstein because the, you know, it's only a year later and this is the year that they also shot, um, Dracula or Horror of Dracula if you're listening in America because it's got a different title over there um, and it's I mean, this is pretty much the golden age of, of Hammer these are these are the really great must watch movies it's interesting as well because um, our friend Terence Fisher directed both of those films yeah. so he directed this and Dracula back to back he was a one man Hammer show oh, I mean I want to be this guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> well not now he's, he's passed like, yeah, sadly okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no he um, yeah the, and the quality is is, is just fantastic Mm. and they're they're really really well made movies you are interrupting my work your work the work of the devil hands please father you can't no (laughs) 
evil of Frankenstein. Next up, possibly leading on from the uh, slightly disappointing end to Revenge of Frankenstein, is 1964's The Evil of Frankenstein. It's a massive gap considering Revenge of Frankenstein was made a year later after Curse of Frankenstein. Um, Obviously, Hammer were making a lot of movies in this period, a lot of Dracula movies. This is really, again, this is kind of the run of classic Hammer horror. It took them six years to go back to Frankenstein, and it's... um, What were they working on all that time? Because this movie's not very good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you said that. Yeah, it's it's a disappointment if you're going to watch them in order. You know, if if, we, if we're going to say which ones we recommend to watch and which ones we recommend to skip, I, this is probably a skippable one. Yeah, I guess you've got the problem, haven't you? If you're going to do a Frankenstein film, there needs to be a creature. Yeah. And I guess the one saving grace of this film is they did actually try and do something a little bit different with the yeah. creature in terms of the creature's motivation. You, in this film, a monster who looks a, maybe a touch more like the Boris Karloff Frankenstein. Yeah, than any, definitely than edging any other. Yeah. closer because he's kind of almost got the flat top. Yeah, the, on, the, the elongated forehead and that sort of stuff. Large brow, the yeah. Falling makeup. It's not say. good. It it's quite like... nice in some of the posters where they've, it's high contrast, yeah. and, but when you see it on screen, it's not very good. It, you can see the joints. Yeah. Story the monster, the motivation for the monster being evil is quite clever because they have this kind of hypnotist, mm. this guy called uh, Zoltan. Zoltan. Which my favorite, yeah. which is Dracula's dog, if we're going to. Really? That's the name oh, of Dracula's cool. dog. Ah, okay. <laughs> Do you reckon that was a nod? I don't think so. No, no I think actually that probably came. It was that was seventies anyway. Yeah, but it sounds like a guy. It who's sounds a hypnotist. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Zoltan the Great, um, <laughs> and he essentially controls the monster. So he's bidding the monster to do wicked things. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the crux of it, really. Frankenstein steal. He's he's basically doing greedy things, isn't he? He's sending the monster to kind of rob people and. Just like uh, a henchman, yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is quite interesting actually. But then the monster is used as a henchman by Frankenstein throughout most of these films. Yeah, yeah that's true. But not, but not, but to kill people essentially, not yeah. to actually rob people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I think the problem with this film, there's several things wrong with it. Um, I think the first one is that it relies on a massive flashback at the beginning, which doesn't look like anything like Curse of Frankenstein. It's a beautiful set, I've got to say, in this flashback to oh, well, Frankenstein. The yeah, the yeah. monster. Um, sorry. The lab um, where Frankenstein makes his original monster is gorgeous in this mm. film. It's almost the opposite of, of Curse of Frankenstein, where everything is quite small yes. and understated. It goes big. This, yeah. go, this is almost like a universal Frankenstein set, which just huge electros, and, and it's it's quite grand. It is cool. It is quite cool to look it, at. It is cool. I mean, I did enjoy that sequence, but the back of my mind was like, I really like Curse of Frankenstein and what they did with that, so why are they kind of rewriting it? Why are they trying mm. to ignore what happened there? Um and then Frankenstein and his partner. It's still Hans, isn't it? It's a different actor. But is it ca- Hans? I think the character is still Hans. Oh, yeah, it is Hans. I don't know if it's meant... I mean, the co- yeah, the continuity at this point is loose. But I think he's still meant to be the same character in tow. Right. Again, that's never... There's, there's no discussion of, hey, Hans, remember when you put my brain in this new body that looks exactly like me? <laughs> that's, you remember that time, And Hans? you cured me of eating monkey meat, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, but it's and he's kind of penniless and he's on the run and it's there's some interesting at that you know maybe they find the monster on ice block yeah it, it this is this is probably the one of the most eye rolling sort of cliche ridden ones um, it is definitely a step down in quality it's it's worth mentioning it's a different director it's Freddie Francis um, taking over for Terence Fisher who was gonna direct and then was in a car crash and and couldn't. Um, 
Now, Freddie France is, is a really successful cinematographer. Oh, he's done some awesome stuff. I mean, he's worked, he was cinematographer on The Elephant Man with David, for David Lynch's Elephant Man. He was June. He yeah. was cinematographer June. The Straight Story. Uh, Cape another, Fear. Yeah. So, worked with some like Scorsese, David Lynch, some big, mm. big names. Um, his directing work is not as impressive. He never kind of got out of horror movies um, where Terrence Fisher did, did some really amazing stuff. Um, but he, uh, this is not a good representation of his work, I'd say. There's there's some other good stuff. There's a film called The Skull, which is definitely worth checking out, which is a really sort of tight, creepy drama uh, about people. Not a hammer horror film. Not a hammer. I think it's Amicus. I think it's by Amicus, the hammer's rival. Uh, but it's Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing is the lead. Um, and it's about the skull of the Marquis de Sade making people trying to buy it and it influencing them to do awful things. It's really cool. It's very trippy. Um, much better than this movie, <laughs> sadly. Um, well, I don't know. I don't think we've got a lot to say about it. No, I, just, I think it's like, it's just that awkward third film, isn't it? Yeah, it's the Spider-Man 3. It's Spider-Man 3, Of yeah. Of ha- horror Hammer movies. Yeah, I yeah, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend this is a must watch. You can pretty much and and at this point the effort in keeping the con- the the brilliance of keeping the continuity going from curse to revenge is not maintained. No. And at this point they are almost all standalone. They're almost all reboots of the of the of the of the last movie. I guess that's it. I feel okay, quite yeah, bad. I, I, well, I feel like we've just shit I'm on sure, Yeah, I know we don't meet well, I mean, you know, it's just not a good film. No. Right? Okay. Frankenstein created woman. Who am I? Who am I? Okay, this is a film I want to talk about. <laughs> okay, so the fourth uh, Frankenstein film in the Hammer franchise is Frankenstein created woman, made in 1967. So we're three years after the evil of Frankenstein. Uh, once again, Peter Cushing returns as Baron Victor Frankenstein. Terence Fisher's back. Terence Fisher is back directing. Dream team. Yeah, absolutely. So... Plot for this one's holy amazing. shit! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's an amazing plot. This is this is not technically this is not the best movie. No, it is the one I watch more than any others. I may, maybe I watch this and curse all the most because I am never not hugely entertained by just the just the balls that this movie has or lack of balls. Lack of balls. <laughs> uh, this movie has. Quickly run us through, because you watched this very recently for the first time, and I'm quite familiar with this, but quickly run us through just the synopsis. Okay, Frankenstein is up to his normal tricks, resurrecting things from the dead, even though it opens up with a really interesting shot of him coming out of a freezer where he's been frozen. Yes. And you think he's dead, and you think somebody else is sort of experimenting on him, but it is one of his experiments to see... How long he can... And it's all about the soul, which is very interesting. They yes. set that up at the very beginning of the film. Yeah. Um, we'll come back to that. Yeah. Um, so we know Frankenstein is at large, doing his thing. He's um, in He's a got village. a little team now. He has got a little team. He's got his lay team yeah. working with him. He's got an assistant who has a son. Yeah. And the son um, goes into the village to get some champagne... Because Frankenstein has just been resurrected after being dead for an hour, and that's what you do in science yep. when you when you when you've got the results you want, you send someone to the pub get to get champagne. some champagne. Yeah, yeah. So Frankenstein has a lab assistant called Doctor Hertz who has a son called Young Hands. Another not, hands, not old hands, not old hands. Hands from the previous two films. No, this is new hands. New hands. Yeah. Um, so Hands goes to buy some champagne from the local pub. He fancies the pub owner's. Or daughter, yeah, who's who's kind of a pretty girl, but with a with a scar on her face. And yeah. It's one of those 
horror contrivances where she's a really good looking girl and they put a little bit of a scar on her eye and everyone says how hideous and how hideous but you're like she's horrible. gorgeous yeah, but she like is. yeah yes yeah, so she's absolutely gorgeous played by susan denberg um and you can tell straight off that there's a thing between these two and the pub owner or landlord is not very happy about this. And mm-hmm. in fact, I think he has to go at hands about it. And then as, <laughs> as this argument is happening, these dandies arrive. Top-hatted dandies. Uh, top-hatted dandies who are obviously the bad guys because they want to come to this pub and drink champagne and eat food and just generally be unpleasant. They're kind of pikey dandies. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they are, aren't they? That's, that's a brilliant description, yeah. So we set up at the beginning that these pikey dandies obviously are bad people. Hans doesn't like them because they take the piss out of the girl and he's in love with the pub owner's daughter. What happens is I think Hans creeps into the girl's room in at night and yes. obviously they're, they're, they're doing what t- two young people in love do and uh, these dandies, for whatever reason, are still hanging around. And in fact, I think they've been in the pub all day. Yeah, they have. Yeah, yeah they've yeah. been in the pub all day and then the, the, the uh, pub owner, who should know better, turns around to them and goes, oh, so it's time for you to pay your bill. And they're like, Oh, we'll pay next week. And he's like, oh, you said that last week. Yeah. You're not allowed in here anymore. And he kicks them out. His acting's not as good as your acting. Really? Incidentally. (laughs) So they then um, stand outside the girl's bedroom window for whatever reason. They start taunting her. her. But it's like, it's really bad mocking. It's I can't remember what it is exactly, but it's just awful. Um, Don't they sing a song? I think they do. Yes, they do. Because the song song. comes back at the end. Does it? Doesn't she start singing it back to them? And then oh, yeah. and that's how he recognises yeah. who she is. Oh, gosh. Okay. So they get drunk. They sing this awful mocking song about her outside her window. Hans is in there and he's like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. And she's like, no, no, don't worry about it. And then for some bizarre reason, the dandies break back into the pub. Yeah. And then they kill the pub owner. It's like they get into a brawl. They don't mean to kill him. Yeah, they they, they get into a brawl with him and they get carried away and they get carried away yeah. and he ends up getting accidentally killed yeah. and this gets pinned on poor young hands young hands yeah and he gets executed yeah and this is where the movie goes <laughs> fucking mental but this is where I think the movie gets good though <laughs> yeah you know no, what it mean? is this, yeah, this yeah. is like everything leading up to that is just so sort of like clunky and convoluted and weird and, and, and it's, just... it's it's not it's not again it's not Terence Fisher's best work the dandies are not threatening in the so... s- I'm not a tough man yeah. and I'm pretty sure I could beat the shit out of all three of them <laughs> 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 they are they are the most ineffectual villains in a movie ever yeah um but so hans young hans is executed frankenstein smells the dead body he says I'll have a bit of that christina the landlord pub owner's daughter Obviously, her father's died. Her boyfriend's been executed. So she tops herself. That's it. Yep. There's two dead, young dead bodies. Hans has been decapitated. Christina's body's fine, but her brain is dead. Guess what Dr. Frankenstein <laughs> plans to do? <laughs> he takes young Hans's brain and puts it into Christina's body. Because that's a brilliant idea. Because that's a great <laughs> idea. And for some reason, Hans's dad is absolutely fine with it. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Hans is reborn inside Christina's body. Now, this is where the movie doesn't directly address this, but that's a great idea. Yeah. Because that is a terrifying thing for a young guy to go through. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, horrific. You know, yeah. you imagine you waking up in your girlfriend's yeah. body. Yeah. Well, actually, maybe that could be quite good at the same time. But what he's... And then, as always, the monster, in this case, is a, a beautiful woman. But this is what... This is where it gets weird, though. Yeah. Because let's think about this. You've got the girl's body yep. and the guy's brain. Yeah. But for some reason, the girl wakes up with her memories. 
Yes, there's a weird thing of that they've been somehow combined. I think this is where because this is where the soul comes in. That it's still yeah. her soul in but the body. his brain. Ah. Um, and it's never overtly said, but it is set up. It's it's actually quite well done. Mm. But what this new Christina hands decides to do is find the three guys, seduce them, and revenge kill them. You know, during sex or after sex or before. Sex. And it's absolutely crazy. It's like when you weird. just break that story down, it's so strange that that Christina suddenly and she and he he also fixes her scar, so she so they don't recognize her, and she goes from I think she's sort of dark ginger when she's in the pub, and then for some reason during the experiment she becomes a blonde, and then she hunts down these guys one by one, and and kills them. It's the head though. Because she keeps Hans's head. That's in the hat the, box. And the hat box. Yeah. And the head's talking to her. So you've got this split personality thing going on where she's like, I can't do it. And he's like, you have to kill them because yeah. it's revenge. And, you know, look at what they did to us. And it, it's actually quite horrific. Yeah, I think is. she puts the head on top of the, her table or on top of a, a, a cupboard or something. Yeah, and, and she she's talks talking to it. To it and yeah. it's like... You know, it's it, you know, this is sixty-seven. So when did Psycho come out? Sixty. So this 60. is this is a Seven few years, years later. Yeah. yeah. Um, it feels older. It feels like an older film. It does feel like an older film. But it's definitely, and again, none of this is particularly um, graphic. This is actually quite uh, as far as I think they show this on the horror channel, uncut during the day. Like mm. you're, you can, if, um, when you see these movies come around, you can just watch this in the afternoon. But ideas-wise, this is one of the most rich with crazy horror movie ideas and weird it's very, psychosexual things going on it's this and evil feel very kind of b movie yeah i think that's kind of like where we start getting into this kind of kind of almost tacky b movie yeah this is infinitely more interesting than frank than the evil of frankenstein yeah but where you've got like the curse of frankenstein and like revenge of frankenstein interesting stories better drama the actual sort of like emotions and sort of turmoil of the monster and revenge certainly is kind of dealt with in, with more respect and yeah. it's kind of really well done in these films it's just like okay here's what's going to happen boom it's schlock it whereas schlock. whereas evil is quite dull obvious yeah. plodding schlock this is great this yeah. is full of mad crazy b-movie ideas the kind of this this is the kind of story you want from a film like this um and it's it's and it's the performances are really good like oh, she really she's good. when she's she great. when she turns to this kind of steely unblinking psycho woman who they're all falling madly in love with the three pikey dandies who who actually they the performance was they do improve towards the end of the movie because when they're shrieking in fear when she's chopping them up um it's really entertaining it really fun satisfying um yeah i don't know i i do recommend this movie it like, is good i think i'm i saw something online that said that martin scorsese is a massive fan of this oh one. really yeah yeah and i think it's for the same sort of that idea of putting a man's brain in a female body and the duality and the hearing the voice and the scenes with the head. I think all that kind of stuff he really kind of dug. Yeah, it's the one I would like to see someone remake and, Mm. you know, and make it more graphic and really explore the ideas that perhaps you couldn't get away with Mm. from a movie like this in 1967 um, because there's just some really terrific ideas. And it's all hinted at. Like, you know that the makers knew what a crazy, fucked-up idea this was. Um but they maybe couldn't express it as much as they wanted to. It's really good. It's got my favourite quick ending in this film. 
because oh, the ending is so quick when in this. Because the, the it ends with a picnic, picnic doesn't it? And you've got that beautiful scene when she takes the head out of the hat box and she's talking to the head. Yeah. And then Frankenstein turns up and goes, Oi! Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? And then a stuntman in a blonde wig jumps into the water because <laughs> she kills herself again. But it is clearly not. Yeah, was it? It's, it's a bloke in a dress. Yeah, it's it's un, so unconvincing. So she's like, she's like, oh Frankenstein. Well, I've I finished my revenge. I'm gonna kill myself anyway. Yeah. And yeah, that beautiful shot, this man in a dress jumping into the river, which and is then, somewhat appropriate. And then you cut back to Frankenstein looking over the edge of the river, and he goes, oh, she's dead, and he yeah. walks off. Yeah, and then it. he goes, the end. Credits. <laughs> it's brilliant. It is. It is the one with the least amount of Peter Cushing. Well, apart from horror Frankenstein, which hasn't mm. got any Peter Cushing, yeah. but this is. Uh, yeah, Frankenstein is really there. For, it's almost like there was another script and they just oh, let's put Frankenstein at the beginning of this and he can be the one who does the body swap halfway through and then he has no real further part to play in the rest of the story. Um, Love it. But great movie. Highly, highly recommend. Highly recommend. <laughs> What have you done to him? What have you done to him? There he goes! Help me! In the name of God, somebody help me! There is no one in the world who can help you except me. So next up, 1969's Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed. Two years later, again, Terence Fisher's back, directing. Uh, Peter Cushing as Baron Victor Frankenstein. At one point, they dropped the Von. The early ones is Baron Victor Von Frankenstein, and then they just dropped that. It's when these went into schlock. <laughs> they, when they became more B-movie, yeah. they're like, Von is uh, that's yeah, too, too that's too much for people to, yeah. to deal with. Just call him Vic Frank. Yeah. <laughs> Get it done. Really. Yeah. Actually, if you're going to do a modern version of Frankenstein, you would call him Vic Frank. Vic Frank. Yeah. yeah, it sounds Rick like a detective. Frankson. It does. Maybe there's a movie. In <laughs> yeah, that. there should be. You heard it here first. Don't do that. We're <laughs> gonna make Vic that movie. Frank makes lady. <laughs> Vic Frank mate. Vic Frank and, and the vixen. Vic Frank and the man woman. Vic Frank and the lady boy. <laughs> Said it in Thailand. That was truly amazing. What you developed that idea. Wow. Said Vic it in Frank and the lady boy. Yeah. So Vic Frank is a cop, but he also dabbles in science on the side. Yeah. Yeah. Goes to Thailand. Or maybe maybe there's something happening out there via his kind of works. He's been sent out yeah. there to catch a criminal. There's an accident in like a ladyboy cabaret, and um, a woman and a man who could be the suspect. Yeah, the suspect gets killed at this right. ladyboy cabaret. Yeah, and he has to, with his science know-how, put his brain. The only body he's got free is this woman's body, so he puts the <laughs> Guy's brain in the wooden body. Yeah, it's a there you go. Free. There you go. Of only body I've got free is this lady. Yeah, <laughs> and he's because he's still got his suspect because he went w- to Thailand for the suspect and he's got it. It's just now she's in a. I will watch that movie. Vic Frank and the Lady Boy. Uh, Vic Frank and the Lady Vic Boy. Vic Frank makes the lady makes Lady Boy. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Okay. If anybody wants to fund that, that'll be great. Yeah, we're available. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, who else is in this movie? Veronica Carlson, Hammer Starlet. Veronica Carlson, who only made a couple. I, I, I'm going to fess up. This is the one I can't remember anything about. Now, plot-wise, this one's actually quite interesting. Um, so Baron von Frankenstein travels to a new town to meet Dr. Brandt, with whom he has been corresponding with and whom he has hoped to collaborate with. 
Um, he arrives, however, to learn that Brandt is in a mental institution, having lost his mind completely. Frankenstein takes a room in the boarding house, run by the pretty young Anna, played by Veronica Carlson, who just happens to be engaged to Carl, a doctor who works at the asylum and happens to be a fan of Frankenstein. There's always a bloody fan. There's always fan. a fan. Yeah. So essentially what happens is Frankenstein wants Dr. Brandt's um, secret. So Dr. Brandt has said, hey, I know this cool thing that I want to share with you. When he arrives at the mental institution, he realizes that he's got a vegetable in his hand. So Frankenstein steals Dr. Brandt's body with the help of Carl and Anna. Um, Frankenstein discovered that Carl has been stealing drugs from the asylum. So he essentially blackmails Carl and Anna to help him. And it just kind of keeps getting more and more sinister, the film. So like when he blackmails this engaged young couple, when he blackmails um, Carl and Anna, there's this horrific rape scene where he rapes Anna. It is. You're right. It is, it, and it comes from out the blue as well. That's the bit I have to say. I'm not particularly keen on that no, it's sequence because like it, it is. And I, I do like that. You know, this is the fifth film at this point. So pushing Frankenstein into the full role of the villain, I think, is probably the right thing to do. Just to make, just to give us something different. Mm. But that and the killing is totally, utterly justified. Um, as far as a character moment, not not in real life. No, it's not. It's not just. Yeah. But the rape scene just comes out of nowhere, and is there's nothing in any of the previous films, or nothing in these performances in general that makes you think he would be capable of that. I think maybe we're getting to the end of the sixties. We're getting into the early seventies. Hammer's golden age is waning at this point, and there seems to be an effort to kind of. They do get increasingly gorier and violent and and sexually graphic and i think it, this is just a, quite a crude attempt to, to up those quotas i read somewhere that this was actually shoehorned in that it they, when they they actually decided oh, really? that there wasn't enough sort of sex and violence in the film so let's and, just put sex and violence yeah into this one is scene. this really horrible sort of rape scene that just is really unpleasant and i and also i think read somewhere that peter cushion just didn't want to was, do it i was going to say what did it because he's when you I've I've read a couple of biographies of him and and read about and just and yeah I'm just a huge fan of the man. It doesn't sound like something he'd be particularly comfortable doing because he's a very gentle, thoughtful, kind man. Mm. Had no problem with being in horror movies. He really enjoyed it. He, I think it was a sort of a great expression for him. But this I can really imagining. I can't even imagine him agreeing to do it. Obviously, he does do it. There's all sorts of problems with that rape scene. <laughs> I think the biggest problem is that there is no repercussions at all. That's that's um, the other thing, yeah. Carl, who is the fiancé of um, uh, Veronica Carlson's character, who does get raped, they almost act like it doesn't happen. Well, there's a reason for that, because it was shoehorned in. Yeah, absolutely. Because the actors weren't playing that she'd just been raped. That was that was an afterthought. Yeah, which is just stupid. It's very stupid. If you're going to put a sex scene in there, why didn't you put a sex scene between the two the, the, the engaged couple. I understand shoehorning in a sex scene, but I don't understand shoehorning yeah. in, in a, that yeah, scene. Exactly. So yeah, why? Yeah, yeah, get get the young couple, the engaged couple, to have like a nice sort of like sexy sort of like we're, Soft we're engaged. Focus. Yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah, could actually yeah. have something a bit more erotic rather yeah. than a nasty sex scene that just. Yeah. It's, it's not even a sex scene. It's just horrible. Yeah. No, it's it's pretty nasty. Okay, so there's a couple other things like there's when the monster or the creature wakes up, Anna. Veronica Carlson comes down and finds him awake and she sort of arms herself with a scalpel and the guy kind of is groggy. He's just woken up. He kind of runs towards her and she stabs him in the stomach mm. and then he runs away 
And then Frankenstein comes down, sees the blood on the floor and goes, what have you done? Yeah. And she just goes, I, I, I stabbed him. He then stabs her yeah. with the scalpel. And again, it's another kind of like scene that's just like Frankenstein is a complete asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really quite violent because it's like he just doesn't, the way it's done, he's just like, oh, yeah. What a waste of space you are. Yeah. He just takes her with yeah. no, yeah. Gone. So he eventually swaps Dr. Brandt's brain, because Frankenstein loves swapping brains, into another body. He does. Yeah. So you've got echoes of like Revenge of Frankenstein plots. It, it has echoes of other Frankenstein mm. movies, but I think it's safe to say the series is retreading itself yeah. at this point. And that's not to say that in on its own, there's not individual sequences and plot strands which are done quite well in this. But there's not a huge amount new for this one. A little bit like Evil of Frankenstein. This is the one that reminds me of all the other ones. Mm. Where, where it kind of... There's nothing specifically about this film that stands out to me. It kind of is a run-of-the-mill Hammer Frankenstein movie. Yeah, I know. I, I agree apart from two things. Okay. Um, for me, this film is when Frankenstein is probably at his most evil. He's an absolute... Yeah shit in this film he really is he's yeah. a, he's a dreadful human being yeah the other films you know he starts off okay and then you see that he does he's still murdering people he's, in the he's first murdering film. People, but he does it with class and <laughs> like, you know all this sort of stuff he but in this film he starts off as a complete git and he just gets worse he yeah. just doesn't give a shit about anybody in this film that and a bit like revenge after he successfully takes dr brant's brain and puts it into another body dr brant has a similar sort of uh, experience to Carl yeah. in Revenge of Frankenstein, where he's like, I'm in a new body. This has screwed up my life. Damn you, Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the guy who plays Dr. Brown in a new body, who I believe is Freddie Jones, does a brilliant job when he wakes up and realizes he's in this new body. Right. So there's a wonderful scene when he goes to visit his wife. He turns up at night, finds his wife asleep, hides behind the screen. It's morning. She wakes up and he talks to her behind the screen saying, I've, you know, I've come to see you. You're not going to recognize me. Mm. Listen to the voice. Does he have, yeah, because the, the, does the original actor dub him? Because I, I seem to remember it's the same voice. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. No I'll have to, uh, yeah. If, if people know, please leave a comment <laughs> yeah, at the yeah, end yeah, of this yeah. uh, podcast. Uh, but he does such a good job. Again, it's like that. that's when the film gets interesting because... Again, it's this kind of high, heightened emotional scene where it's like, oh my God, yeah, you're in a new body and you're talking to your wife and you've got to mm. convince her. And then Frankenstein's doing it purely for his own uh, benefit. He wants to know this secret that Dr. Brandt has and obviously Dr. he's ruined Dr. Brandt's life. Mm. So um, those two things, I think, are interesting in this film. Overall, would you recommend this one? I think out of all of the Frankenstein films, the only one I would not recommend really is Evil. Mm. Um, I'd recommend watching all the others. Um, and maybe at the end of this, we'll do a watching this order, yeah, yeah. you know, order of like best to weakest. But this one, I think, is interesting for, for the creature. Again, they do something a bit interesting with the creature at the end. And it's also got a brilliant end sequence yeah. with the fire in the mansion. The creature is in the mansion and Frankenstein turns up saying, I, I want your secret. And, the, you know, the, this, the guy's at the top of the stairs and he's shouting down to Frankenstein, I am the spider, you are the fly. Yes, that is an awesome moment. It's an awesome moment. And he goes, what you want is through there. And then when Frankenstein runs to the doors, he throws a lantern and sets them all yeah. on fire. And it's just, it's a re I mean, like, there are bits in this film that are really good. You know, it, it is all to do with the creature. It's like, just watch the last sort of maybe half an hour of this film. It's again, it's Terence Fisher again, isn't mm. it? So it, it's it's technically 
technically, I think this is a better directed movie than than Created Woman, which mm. is which is a bit shonky, even though the plot elements are fantastic in that movie. Um, I I would recommend. I need to watch it again because this is the one that's most hazy in my memory. But I um, I would recommend it. But I would say don't make this the first Frankenstein movie you watch because it's not particularly. It's it's very different from everything else that's come before it. It's tonally wise. The level of violence and sex uh, is not in keeping with everything else that's come before. And a lot of it's not justified. Some of it is just yeah. sex and violence for the sex, for sake of sex and violence. It's that kind of weird thing about Hammer films and how they've aged, you know, compared to sex and violence in movies now. Um, the Hammer films kind of look, feel and look a little bit sort of cuddly mm. with their sex and violence, you know, because we're, we're, we're so used to such graphic images yeah. nowadays. That when you do watch these old movies, you'll be like, oh, yeah. Oh, look, there's some boobs. Yeah. You know, <laughs> oh, they're cutting, oh, it's soft focus now, or oh, they're doing this, or oh, they're doing that, or oh, the blood's really kind of red. You yeah, know, yeah, that yeah. Kensington gore. Yeah, yeah. Um, where this one, actually, it's just, it it has got those really kind of horrific elements in it more than the rest of the, the Frankenstein films. This one actually gets you. When we do uh, our Dracula retrospective, this, <laughs> is, this, is, um, this is kind of closest to. I think Scars of Dracula, which is the most sort of nasty, violent. Um, it's it's actually a pretty good film, but this this is tone wise, this is closest to that, and it's probably I don't know exactly, but we'll look at the dates. It's made very probably at very similar times. Um, yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. I don't. It's, it feels the most. Yeah, it probably for that very reason, it feels the most unhammer to yeah. me. <clears throat> this this feels like it was made by someone else, and and it's not kind of hammer glory is but yeah it's a it's it's worth a watch shrink from this eye this all-seeing eye hide from these hands these powerful hands run from the horror the ultimate horror of frankenstein after poor Frankenstein must be destroyed, what did he ever do wrong? It wasn't like he swapped brains or taught a monkey how to eat meat. No. Um, was the Horror of Frankenstein number six yep. in the series? 1970, directed by Jimmy Sangster. Who wrote Curse of Frankenstein. Ah, yes. So he was, um, I think they asked him just to write this one, and then he kind of, because he realised it was it was a remake and it was a reboot, and this was a bit of a money-making scheme because it was a remake. Um he kind of campaigned to get a chance to direct it. And he's actually, he directed a few um, Hammer movies. He's a brilliant writer, not the strongest director. I think he even cops that in a lot of interviews he did in the last few years. I think he's, I think he's passed on now, but um, he he was quite sort of open about the fact that he kind of punched above his weight when he started directing. Um, Although this is pretty well directed, I would say it's got some good sequences and, and it's, quite a bit of fun but to make it more interesting for himself it he kind of turned it into a sort of a gory dark sex comedy <laughs> yeah it's got a weird it's got a weird tone um this film and obviously the the only frankenstein film in the hammer franchise that doesn't have peter cushing um i guess it's out of continuity it's you know the, it's, all the others have kind of run you know what it is it's interesting because nowadays we're so used to like reboots remakes and all that sort of stuff you know this is back in 1970 yeah hammer had this franchise that they knew was this needed to be injected with new life it's interesting that what 35 years ago they were still they were, they were still doing the same yeah. thing everything uh, is 
exactly the same as it is yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, you know, it was a there was a real push with Ralph Bates to make him a new generation of Hammerstar because by this point, you know, it had started with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, and it eventually ended with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. You know, it was they kept their same styles going, but this was their real push to get uh, a new face to be the lead in 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 some Hammer movies. And he did a few, and he did he did uh, a lot of other horror movies as well. And I I quite like Ralph Bates. I think he's quite he's quite an interesting, funny actor. He's got some great comic timing. Um, but I, I I quite like this movie. I have to say I, I didn't used to because it was it wasn't proper Frankenstein because it hasn't got Peter Cushing. Um, but I've come around to it. I think it's it's quite witty. It's quite funny. Um, it does retread curse quite closely. So I think the comedy is kind of appropriate for that. Um, even though it's technically it's one of the least interesting looking monsters, I really like David Prowse as he, the monster. You can see why he was such a good choice to play Darth Vader. Yeah. Because when you do see him for the first time, he has got such a pres- physical presence. Yeah. He's a big guy. And he's in a chamber and yeah. he's standing up and he's got this dead blank expression on his face. And all the action kind of goes on and it's quite sinister because he's just there the whole time. Looking like if he stepped out, he could just crush all of them. And he breaks a leather strap with his pectorals. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, this is like a proper strong monster. Yeah. Um, um, it's it's a different take for the monster. And it's it's quite a cool take. And again, he's just got the zip zipper across the top of his forehead. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But also what I love about this is like the little sort of like you know, uh, they've just painted lines on his arms and little dashes where the, the stitches should be. And I've, but anatomically, he's yeah. perfect. Well, isn't that, isn't that, that that's where they, they're going to cut? No, the, yeah, in the film, but when he's actually released as the monster, oh, yeah, you he's see just these kind of like, they've just got that, a tiny yeah, little yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's not particularly advanced makeup, although he'd have more than enough makeup in the next film. But I've got to say, I really liked, um, just talking about those lines that Frankenstein paints on his victims and also the lines that are on the final makeup of David Prowse. I love the nod to that at the beginning because the beginning titles are. Oh, there. he's in class. Well, this is that painting. Yeah. There's a painting, a, you know, artistic painting. And you think, oh, somebody's going to. There's a hand that comes in with a paintbrush and it's going to start sort of touching up this painting. But what it does is start drawing lines across the wrists and the joints. And it's almost like, you know, a butcher yeah. selecting its kind of like prime cuts of yeah. this sort of meat. And it's just brilliant because it just sets the tone of like, this is going to be a bit silly. That's, quirky. that's true. It really does open up and just say this is this is a very different. This is this is not your daddy's Frankenstein. No, exactly. Um, and and it's right. You it is a sex comedy because they do set they do well, it's sex horror horror Let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, because they set Frankenstein as as being more of a ladies' man in this. Yeah, which you don't really buy Peter Cushing at. Sorry, Peter. No, sorry, Peter. But it's uh, but Ralph Bates quite a. He's a, he's a little bit Bruce Campbellish actually. Yeah, he's got that kind of sort of angular, handsome charm, but quite a little bit weird looking. Um, but he is kind of sort of banging everything that moves. It it's it's a curio really this yeah. one because it 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 kind of exists outside of everything else, and it's um, I I, I it it wasn't particularly well received. It wasn't particularly successful, which is why they they go back. This is it's almost like he's the George Lazenby of Frankenstein's because. Yeah, because they immediately go back to the original when uh, when this didn't quite pan out and uh, and get Peter back for one more movie, but it's um it's yeah so you know plot wise as we said it follows the same sort of beats as um cursed you got Frankenstein 
goes to medical school, comes interested in wanting to, uh, you know, animate, reanimate dead bodies, um, has a friend who helps him, mm. friend gets disgusted with the lengths that Frankenstein's going to create oh, it's, his it's monster. A, it's a friend this time, not a mentor, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, friend, that's, that's kind it, of the difference. He meets at medical school and yeah. he... Frankenstein, at the beginning of the film, sabotages his father's shotgun and yeah. his father dies and you, that sets up Frankenstein's murderous side. And mm. the medical school, when he goes to medical school and he, he actually gets the dean's daughter pregnant yep. and gets it's kicked Veronica out. It's Carlson again, isn't it? No, she plays Elizabeth. Oh, okay. But yes, she's in the film, she's but the she's films. not the dean's daughter. Okay. Um, and that sets up, you know, Frankenstein this time around being murderous, but also being a bit of a cad, a bit of a yeah, ladies' man. Yeah, he sleeps with the maid again. Sleeps with the maid, maid again. Is Kate O'Mara. Yeah, and that's the Rani that, for yeah. the Doctor Who fans. <laughs> yeah, are you familiar with the Rani? No, you missed the Colin Baker era of oh, Doctor man, Who. Oh man, I feel like I now have to. Uh, Maybe catch up. you don't. No, <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. but she was she was another evil Time Lord. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I can imagine her being an amazing evil time. She was actually quite good. The the stories she's in are not very good, but she, um, but yeah, she plays an evil like a like the master, but like a lady master. But she is the sluttiest housemaid in this My film. My God, she shags the Frankenstein's dad, yeah. and then obviously when he passes away and Frankenstein comes back from medical school, she's shagging his son. He's shagging yeah. Frankenstein, so she's like. That's how she's kept that job for that long. Pretty much. Because um, the place is filthy. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, cooking's not very good. No. Guess what? The, the whole yeah, thing yeah, about yeah. like, oh, we need to get, oh, a, yeah, get a chef in. And there's then the loads chef... of jokes about that. Yeah. There? Oh, and then, you know, so the film carries on where Frankston eventually creates his monster, obviously screwing over a few people along the way. Um, yes, um, Bronco Carlson plays um, Elizabeth, who is his betrothed, but... That never really pans out in the film. I think he gets rid of the maid again by getting his monster to murder her. Yeah. And then he has Elizabeth become his housemaid. Yeah. I mean, it's all right. I mean, so beat for beat, it's got similar sort of plot lines, but with the slight tweaks here and there are more sort of comedy and horror. Um, but I just love the way they kill off the monster in this film. That for me was a fa- my favorite thing because it's a bit like, did they really just do that? It's the most undramatic and stupidest thing ever, I but think, I kind of love it at the same time. I think time. this is where Jimmy Sangster. I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think this is where he maybe he falls down a little bit as a director because it that it's underwhelming. I don't. I, I do. I, again, this is one I I say watch, but it's it's not prime Frankenstein. No, I it's, mean, tell you what is good in it as well though, is the dynamic he has with the grave robber. Because the grave robber is great. Like the grave robber is this guy that he hires to go and get all the body parts for his monster. Mm. And the grave robber's got this great dynamic with his wife, where the grave robber has a meeting with Frankenstein, going, "Oh, I can get you this, I can get you that, but it'd be very, very hard." And you cut to the grave robber sitting on the edge of a grave, and his wife is digging out the grave. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it. There's some great little visual gags, yeah. like set up and pay off. This is it's quite a it's a pretty witty movie. Yeah, yeah. no, he's it's really funny. Um, I think I think it just hasn't got Peter Cushing in it. No. So you... it doesn't feel like a Frankenstein film. No. In the Hammer franchise. Sorry, yeah. It it's um yeah, it tonally it is quite strange. But there are effective moments. There are a, 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 it's one of my favorite labs in mm. all the movies. This is probably up there with Curse of Frankenstein. I think it's it's one of the it's one of the coolest looking labs because it's quite expansive and because because of the placement of the monster as well. He just looks really cool. Mm. Um yeah, but but sort of very towards the end, like they try to do something different, didn't quite take. I mean, in a, there's an alternate reality out there where there's another six Ralph Bates Frankenstein movies, 
What was their plan? Would they remake every single one of them? How does he get the acid into the bottles? Or does he get the bottles? Oh, yeah. And then put them up. But then surely because like the bottles are raised a good six feet above the floor. Yeah. So what would you would you actually kind of lift a bottle of acid and hold it above your it, head to put it into it's, that mechanism? It's you know, it's asking for trouble. And how to... come nobody walks in and goes, what the fuck is that thing? <laughs> what, why is there six bottles of acid and a above? a bl- giant naked bloke. Like, yeah, what's what's going on there? It takes a little... We should... Let's reveal the ending, man. We've yeah, got yeah, to yeah, we're talking about. So a little... So basically, Frankenstein <laughs> Frankenstein hides his monster, um, which is, you know, the massive man-mountain David Prowse. Yeah. Hides him in this contraption that he's built to get rid of bodies. Because um, that can never go wrong. That can never go wrong. Hide here under these six bottles of acid. Yeah. Um, and then, is it the police arrive and they're looking around and all this sort of stuff? Isn't it the little and it's boy. a little little yeah. girl. Little girl. That's it. A little girl runs in and goes, "What does this do?" And pulls the lever on the contraption, <laughs> which then pours the acid into the trough. The monster doesn't scream, obviously, or anything like that. And then Frankenstein just kind of looks and goes, "Oh." Yeah. You almost expect a slide whistle. Yeah. Like. Or a yeah. if there had been one of those, that would yeah. have been better. And then, yeah, the end. Somebody shot. out there do that. Put that on YouTube. Oh man, that'd be so good. <laughs> because I was half expecting, and this again, this is modern filmmaking compared to um, you know classic filmmaking. That when he peers over the edge to look at into the contraption to see mm. the, what's happened to the monster, and you cut to that POV shot and you see the acid, and then a boot goes bloop. Yeah. And then another boot goes bloop. I wasn't expecting the monster to kind of leap out. Yes. And, and grab have, him. And you have that final act. drag him in. Yeah. Like, that... you know, like Friday the 13th style. Yeah. No. No. It's just... like, it's just a bloop. Bloop. Yeah. The end. The end. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. It's, yeah. Um... It's, it's a bit, it, it is underwhelming. It is. <laughs> Again, because I think it's, it's underwhelming. But there's also... no dramatic music on it. Either. No. It's, it's but... just played straight. And because you see it coming, yeah. I mean, like... <laughs> Just a million miles away. And also, there was no reason for the little girl to be in the lab. There was no reason Where for her to... Where did she come from? I can't remember. And for her to run up, like, there's, like, police running around that lab. Nobody else pulls that leather apart I Actually, funny enough, now I'm thinking about it, the first time I watched it, I got really tense at that point because I thought, oh, they're going to melt the... The kid's going to get in there. Or yeah. so I thought the kid was in going to be in peril. Yeah. But no, it's just... Just for someone to pull that... Yeah. That cable. Yeah, it's pretty... It's just mad. It's, it's very, very strange. Um, still worth a look, I reckon. Still got some good fun stuff in it. It's not the evil of Frankenstein. That's no, for sure. it's got that going for God, it. We're really shit. We are really, man. I feel bad. <laughs> this brings us to the end. It does. The final film, the seventh film in the Hammer Frankenstein franchise. Horror Frankenstein did not take off the way that people expected. Quite rightly so. People go to a Hammer Frankenstein movie. They want to see some Peter Cushing. Um, so he's back for the last entry, uh, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. You have been found guilty of one of the vilest of crimes. I am a doctor, you know. I have decided to extend my leniency to its limits by only sentencing you to be committed to the state asylum for the criminally insane for a period of five years. I knew you couldn't give up your work completely. And you haven't. I've succeeded this time. And every sacrifice will have been worthwhile.
Which, by the way, is a terrific title. Yeah. That is putting everything out there for one last go it's around. It's a proper B-movie title. Yeah. You it, can't get more B-movie than that. You, Frank, well, you, well, you got can. the words Frankenstein, Monster, you, and Hell. Big th- Frank makes Lady Boy. <laughs> yeah. B-movie, but it is an awesome title. Yeah, it's yeah. a great title. And... Um, and it's yeah, but it's it's their last go around, and it's it's it is one of my favourites. I think it the series doesn't end on a whimper for me. It it kind of goes back to um, to some of the core elements. It does some new stuff. It's very well directed. Peter Cushing is back as as Frankenstein. Terence Fisher is back as director, as he should be. Yeah. So it's his last film for Hammer, um, as well as the last Hammer Frankenstein. Interestingly enough, he directed 29 films for Hammer. Basic plot is, is Frankenstein is living in an asylum. Well, there's a, there's another doctor. We meet we, we start off meeting another doctor um, who is another fan of Frankenstein. There's so many of them. Um, he's doing his own very Frankenstein-like experiments. Um, he gets caught, he gets busted, and he gets thrown in an asylum where he meets his mentor. Victor Frankenstein, uh, who looks... I don't know if it's the wig that they give Peter Cushing in this movie, but he looks considerably older than the last time we saw him. I think uh, there is a joke, actually, somewhere. I've I've read somewhere online that he picked that wig, but it made him look like some female actress. I can't remember the name, so it's not... He looks like a golden girl. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think he's 59 at this point, isn't he, Peter Cushing? Yeah, there's there's the the classic story of... uh, Really sad story about Peter Cushing is that he went from um, playing father figures, and then when his wife died in the late sixties, he he physically aged about twenty years in about three years, and got very very sick, and this it took a huge emotional toll on him. Um, and I think even in Dracula AD nineteen seventy two, he was written as the character's father, and then when they came to shoot it, they suddenly switched it to grandfather because he just physically looks so much older um so yeah in the space i think that happened in the space between this film and uh, frankenstein must be destroyed so they kind of it's quite it actually works quite well though because there's this character you haven't seen for a while you've, you've kind of seen this young pretender in the last film and they have a great reveal when you first see him in in the asylum when he first appears and it's a real moment like oh my god there's there's frankenstein he's back it's the real frankenstein it's the proper frankenstein it's a cool moment frankenstein is up to his uh usual tricks he's murdering inmates though this time mm-hmm. to get their body parts to create a monster mm-hmm. why is he doing this like you know <laughs> and especially because like the monster in this film it's worth pointing out is a brilliant bit of design but it is a monster it's an Ape man. It's an ape man, yeah. Uh, it's, it's again, it's David Prowse, but you would never know. Mm. You would never, if you watch these movies back to back, you don't go, "Oh, look, it's the same bloke who was the monster last time." Mm. He looks completely different. Um, he's got this weird kind of friar tuck haircut where you can. It's a full skull cap, and then the rest of his and these faces exposed, but the rest of him is absolutely covered in this kind of downy. Hair. Yeah, they kind of his shoulders are big, and he almost hasn't got a neck. It's like he's he's almost like one big sort of round sort of block of muscle, isn't he? Yeah, and yeah, completely covered in hair. Um, it's I mean, a great design. It's, it's a great really design. Creepy. But, but my my issue with it is, and I love the design. It's like when Frankenstein was making this monster. <laughs> what was the end game? <laughs> yeah. What was he thinking? Like, was he thinking? Oh, oh, this guy would be really good at making tea. Yeah. You know, because he's so monster-like. Yeah. He is, he is like, yeah, like you say, a man ape. He's yeah. a proper 
B-movie monster. And, you know, all the other monsters have been, like we've seen, he's been putting brains into other people's bodies. He's been putting brains into women's bodies. You know, Christopher Lee just looked dead. Yeah. Um, Evil Frankenstein monster looked like somebody just put a cardboard box on their head. Um, you know, but this monster just looks completely Hellish. different from all the other Frankenstein monsters. And I have monsters. to say, when you see stills of it, mm. it never quite does it justice mm. like it's on the poster and you can if you google frankenstein the monster from hell it'd be the first thing that pops up um but when you actually see it in action it's it's somehow much more convincing and much cooler looking i i i, I don't know why i don't know whether stills look slightly silly and um like something's gone wrong with the makeup but when you actually see it in the film it works brilliantly well um and a great and you know i don't think david prowse maybe gets enough credit for how look how different he is between these two movies? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's 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 uncanny. It's really really cool. And they do because the idea is that this this ape like man is a homicidal inmate um, who committed suicide, and Frankenstein sort of cap- you know resurrected him, but also grafted the hands of a recently deceased sculptor, which is a theme from a previous one. I can't remember which one it is, but he I think it might even be the first one. Um, curse of Frankenstein when he's like he wants to get the best body parts to create the ultimate human being which is the the big Frankenstein this is why he kills the doctor in Curse of Frankenstein because yeah. he's a get brilliant doctor so he wants to use the perfect brain but I think he does actually get a sculptor's hands in that film as yes well. you're right yeah. so um, dance is there one where he's a dancer's feet or am I confusing I it with know. another Frankenstein yeah, there's a lot of movies like this out there um, and it, the sculptor's Bernard Lee it was M in James Bond movies. Uh, a little bit of random Bond cool. trivia. No, I like that. I like the links. Did you know that David Prowse played Darth Vader? I did know that. Oh, man. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a massive surprise. I think we mentioned that like <laughs> three times. <laughs> um, um, but um, so to assist Frankenstein in sort of sewing his monster together, we have the lovely Madeline Smith, who plays Sarah, who is a, a mute girl. Um, who has a nickname Angel, mm. and uh, Madeline is obviously going to be talking at our screening of Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. Just a little plug there. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I've read that she. This is one of her favorite roles in. She's Hammer really films. good in it, and I'm not just saying that because we're about to meet her. Um, goes back to some of the strengths of Revenge of Frankenstein, where there is actually someone to root for in this movie, because again, Victor Frankenstein by this point is is not a likable character. Um, but he's not as evil as he is in the other films. No. I think we've gone back to Curse of Frankenstein, where he's just focused on what he wants to do, mm. which is reanimate dead bodies. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's murdering inmates, but he's not like the scythe wielding madman that of, he is in. Of must be destroyed. Must be destroyed. Yeah. yeah. And he's not, um, you know, <laughs> I was going to say the rapist that he is in that film as well. He's gone back to that kind of quiet, sort of quiet debonair sort of older sort of character. Mm. This is a great way to end the Hammer series. It really goes back to sort of the classic. It's a great swan song. Let's put it that way. It's, it's lovely performance from Peter Cushing. Really energetic, dynamic direction from Terence Fisher. It's not, it, it, it doesn't feel like an old man directing it. It, it doesn't feel like someone's last film. It, feel, yeah. it feels as energetic and exciting as Curse of Frankenstein. So it's, it, it, it really works. And it's one of the, it's kind of got all the best elements of some of the previous films. The opening for me is my favourite part. It's following this new character, Simon Helder. It's almost like we're watching the character from Horror of Frankenstein, this young Frankenstein-like character 
get busted. Get see him go through a uh, sort of all his experiments. He has that great jar of eyeballs, which is really good and really gory and nasty looking. Um, getting busted, getting put into the asylum, and then finding what's happened to Frankenstein. That's really exciting, really fun to watch. I just wish they did something a bit more with the insane asylum. Because I like the idea of the monster being created from insanity and mm. violence, which kind of which is played on in the film because he start the monster starts off as kind of like a gentle creature mm. that slowly but surely becomes the killer that they all become. Yeah. Um Yeah. It's good. I mean I like it. It is good. Yeah. Well, Shall we put these in order, watching order? Preference, people, preference yeah. order. Preference order. I don't know about watching order, because I think you should start with Curse, okay. regardless of where you kind of rank it. So, I mean, I would say, okay, so let's talk about preference order. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that, yeah, I would say Curse of Frankenstein, Revenge of Frankenstein. Um, the third one is tricky, yeah. I find. Those two because are kind of easy because they're, they're, kind of, they're, they're great. It's almost like they're one film. You know, mm. you can sit there, easily watch those two in one sitting. Yeah. And y- you've got, like, the perfect Frankenstein film, I think. Yeah. Um, I would almost ooh, go as far to say um, maybe uh, Created Woman yep. as a third one, just purely for shits and giggles. I after. mean, if you're going to go schlock, yeah. go schlock. Go schlock. And then maybe even Destroy... Um, which I know, wow. I, yeah, I know, I, 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 I know, I bagged it out, but just purely for that last half an hour. Yeah. So that's four, um, uh, five. I would say Monster from Hell. Yep. Yep. Because even though Monster from Hell, you could argue, is better than um, destroyed. destroyed. I just love that ending. Yeah. I just love that ending. As soon as that, you know, Doctor Brandt resurrects in the new body, mm. that film gets really that interesting. Yeah. 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 So that's that's five, um, and then obviously horror, and then evil. And then evil. But you know what? Don't even worry about evil. Yeah, you just know? kind of forget it's there. Yeah. I think most people. Uh, that is, that's not just our view. I don't think. I think that's most people's view. Uh, my list is probably pretty close to yours. I would kick it off with Curse. You know, um, it's just brilliant. It's just a really good story, really well told. It's classic Frankenstein. Yeah, and it's and just and you know if you're a fan of the Universal movies, it's. It's not a universe. It's a such a dramatically different take, which is such a challenging thing to do. Yes, you can make this story. You can't use any of the bits that we use. What would you do with that? And they'd make something absolutely brilliant. So, um, so yeah, start with Curse of Frankenstein. Um, I'm gonna go straight to Created Woman. I love Created Woman <laughs> so much. <laughs> really? Yeah. Over Revenge. Over Revenge. Wow. I'm not saying it's a better film. I'm mm. just saying I prefer it. It's. I think it's enormously entertaining and it's got a great poster that poster of, of Peter Cushing holding yeah. her in his arms yeah. which never happens in the film yeah. which is a wicked image um, then I'll go Re- Revenge or Monster from Hell I kind of like them equal. I'll go with Revenge then Monster from Hell uh, then Horror of Frankenstein then I guess I have to go with Must Be Destroyed and bottoming out with Evil of Frankenstein. Wow, wow, you put horror above, um, yeah, destroy. That's I, interesting. It just doesn't feel right to me. It mm. just, there's something about that, and it is the rape scene which just really grates against me. Where I'm just like, this doesn't belong here. So cool. Well, that was that was fun. Yeah, 
I hope, that was I, hope that was, I hope that was entertaining for everybody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> me, me barely remembering some oh, of it. Me just getting a lot of things yeah. wrong. But, but, uh, um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I'd say, you know, go, go check them out. They're all, they're all available out on, on DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, don't, don't just stream them. Go, yeah. go, go, go check them out. Cause there's some really great filmmaking in, in amongst this. Yeah. And there's some good extras on the DVDs as well. And a lot of them have commentaries as well, which is really interesting. Mm. Um, and if you're curious of seeing one with an audience on a big screen with Madeline Smith, who's in it, come see our screening of Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. So next time on the Anna Smithy Cinema Verite podcast. Oh, my God. Are we going to do this? It's going to be the Dracula. <laughs> the Dracula retrospective. No, so, this, this is not a case of us watching them independently and then coming together, is it, Ben? No, no. This is a case of... Again, me being... This is new. your idea, isn't uh, it? Man? Yeah, sorry, man. <laughs> a bit like the Clive Barker nerdgasm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, that was your idea. That was I just my... gave it a bad title. You gave it a name. Oh, but yeah. sorry. But um, so, tell the good people what we're doing. So me and Pete, we're going to watch all the Dracula films in one sitting. Uh, this weekend, actually. Yeah, in a couple of days. So we're going to start at, what, four o'clock on a Saturday? I think so, yeah, that's and the plan. And then watch them all back to back until Sunday morning. If we if we take no breaks, I've worked out it takes us 13 hours to get through all of them. There will be breaks. <laughs> there will, purely purely because what we're going to do is me and me and Pete going to wear some radio mics and we're going to record our retrospective podcast on Dracula in between each of the films. Yeah. So they'll be fresh in our minds. We'll, it'll be our honest reactions to see well for Pete seeing the films again for me seeing them for the first time. I have seen Dracula before and Prince of Darkness. But not for a long time. Um, I, the, I'm oh, and Dracula exci- 80, 1972 or so recently as well, obviously. I'm quite excited because I've not seen Brides of Dracula, uh-huh. which is the second one. I've uh-huh. never seen it. I've just got a brand new, freshly bought Blu-ray for our screening. Bum, bum, bum. So I'm really that's a, yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. So we're going. We're, that's going to be our. That's going to be our take on Dracula. <laughs> That'll be episode six. Yeah. And then episode seven will be Quatermass, uh, yeah. which uh, I've already seen them all, and I love them. So I can't wait for us to revisit those. Yeah. They're they're, and there's only three of them. So. <laughs> well, I think terrible. I think we should watch Experiment X as well because that was meant to be a Quatermass film. It was. Yeah, with Dean Jagger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, we'll do we'll do those. Four. We can even look at the BBC ones. As Whoa. Well. Whoa! <laughs> what did I just do? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so, thank you for thank you for listening. Thank you for hope, listening. Hope you've enjoyed. Um, go out and check out these Frankenstein movies. So, before we go, check out what we're doing. Check out our latest news. Uh, we have a website: www.alansmithyscinemaverite.com. Remember the S at the end of Smithies, because sometimes we forget that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, uh, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook forward slash Alan Smithy Cinema Verite. And uh, follow us on Twitter, which is... Smithy Cinema. Yeah, at Smithy Cinema, yeah. We should set up an Instagram and take pictures from the booth. It will be the same picture every week. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to be very interesting. <laughs> that's not going to be super interesting. Uh, and if uh, you've got other thoughts, other questions, comments, then you can email us at alansmithycinema at gmail.com. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye.